Hello, and welcome to the 46th episode of Adam Alonzi's podcast. Tonight we are reuniting with Micah Blumberg and Bilal Sidhu to discuss virtual reality. is why the virtual reality hype is about to come crashing down and he's it's about he says the depth and breadth of content is coming up short stuff and so the the experiences are more like demos than uh full full-fledged products and and recently and, and just to make stuff sound even worse we recently got this article from the from VentureBeat that was saying that uh that vr adoption users have Amongst VR adoption among Steam users has crashed to a halt, and they're they're, they're saying the number of new HC Vive Steam owners only grew three percent in July and was when was flat in August, and that the Rift headset saw a similar stagnation from July and then one percent increase in August. So they're trying to say that. So I, what I believe is um is that both of these articles are, are incorrect. The second one's incorrect because they're in misinterpreting the data. Uh, and the first one's incorrect because they're, because they're really looking at, uh, at, at a long-term, uh, at the big picture with a short-term view. And the short, and so what I wanna say is that, is that in, in August, um, I was at BRLA, uh, that was August 5th and 6th, and they, they literally doubled from 3,000 people to 6,000 people. And they said, we're going to double again next time from 6,000 to 12,000 people. That's um, crazy. They told us that all the other conventions like Comic-Con and or the people who own Comic-Con, the people who own E3, they're, they're, ta- they're at, talking to VRLA and they're saying, hey, we want to buy you out. The VRLA's position is that you know, we're thinking about getting bought out because it's a lot of money, but we're also thinking about continuing to do what we're doing because we like it a lot. And <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and they think that maybe that they can get as big as as, uh, as some of these other shows, you know, like uh, like the GDC or the VRDC or the E3, et cetera. And, um, and that's what I'm hoping that we can do with San Francisco Virtual Reality, which um, which I've been with for over a year as their media organizer and point person for um, investor contacts and and um, uh, now as an organizer, recently promoted to organizer. I'm hoping that we can make uh, SFVR as big as VRLA for sure. Is, is you know, a real competition out here is VRDC, um, which is the spinoff from GDC. And then eventually we want to get to be as big as GDC. And I believe that is possible. And it's not only plausible. Now, now, this guy um, said this in May. There are actually, after this article came out, there actually was a report that there are over 400 um, apps in the HTC Vive store, in the Valve, in the Steam store. That's a ton of apps. And, um, and these, this is like, if you, and a lot of that stuff is really inexpensive. So if a person, there's actually a ton of content, virtual reality content um that you can experience when you are um in the hsc vive um and that content is also this all that content is available to the oculus rift as well in addition to the oculus uh source own content that's available to the oculus rift 
Um, and if you have the Revive, you can use uh, uh, many of the Oculus Rift titles on your Vive. Um, but um, but the but the, the the point here is that uh, the Oculus, the, the the Rift and the Vive are just uh, exploding in popularity. Virtual reality is exploding in popularity. It's not slowing down. Um, the uh, what happened at VRLA is happening to uh, like Tribeca. Uh, film festival is going to make basically like the uh, half of their film festival is basically going to be um, uh, related to uh, 360 video films wow. for VR, VR, what they call it VR filmmaking uh, or filmmaking that you experience with the VR headset uh, when, when it's best experience. Um, and uh, so, yeah, they're talking about 360 films are growing massively, exploding interest. Um, and you know, there was the news that, of course, the PlayStation, you know, the PlayStation pre-order sold out and then Sony basically had to delay it because they felt that they could not, they had to, they felt they could not um, meet the demand. So they had to uh, delay the release of the PlayStation VR in order to make more units available for sale. And so if you look at the numbers on the Steam page that are cited in all these articles saying that the sales have gone to a halt, these are not sales numbers. What they're talking about is the percentage of the total number of units that are out there, the percentage of units that are either Oculus Rift units using Steam VR or HSC Vive units using Steam VR. So these are not even close to being sales numbers. And they're not. And they're, is this people who have like voluntarily like uh, you know, consented to give their information to a survey, or is this like them just sampling all Steam, you know, install base? Because I think I, that'll also make a huge difference. Like, if it's just voluntary, but, then obviously but, these numbers aren't, you know, that significant. But what I'm saying is that it's I, what I believe, and I could be wrong, is that these these are just they're just sampling the data they have on their computer. Mm -hmm. that, you know, they're basically saying that you know we are seeing that Steam VR is connected to. Um, that the okay, so let's say there's a, let's say that there's a hundred percent, if hundred percent of all the the gamers on using Steam VR, this percentage of them are using uh, Oculus Rift. This percentage of them are using HTC Vive. This percentage of them are not using either. The thing is, um, if you have uh, if a game comes out like No Man's Sky came out and and a ton of people buy No Man's Sky. Yeah. then that's a that's you know what i mean that changes the total number of but, it, but it's not it's not it's not telling you that vr sales are going down it's just telling you that a, a larger percentage of people are using no man's sky um or a larger percentage of people are uh, you know what i'm saying like you could sell you could sell um here's what here's what i'm saying is you could sell a hundred thousand um, units of the Vive every month, and you could sell 100,000 units of Oculus every month. And when you see a 1% increase with the um, with the Oculus Rift, that's not saying that sales increased by 1%. Or if you see a 0%, that's not saying the sales ran to a halt. That's, say, that's saying that that the number of Oculus Rift users increased compared to the number of of uh, HC Vive users by by 1% that's not the same as sales numbers this not it's mm -hmm. no indication at all that sales are grinding to a halt they, these journalists have uh, totally misinterpreted the data and, yeah they're, um, they're kind of extrapolating way beyond the scope of what the data yeah. actually says yeah yeah they're going too far
And, 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 you know, I love how they're also hedging. Like, most of these articles kind of just hedge their, their stance also by saying that, oh, you know, it's kind of like when the iPhone first came out. You know, there wasn't much stuff on the App Store. It's going to take some time to pick up. So my sense is this is just, like, clickbaity like, articles. So everyone can just, like, oh, no, the downfall right. of VR? I need to read about this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. thank God I didn't spend money on VR. Then you go try VR, and then you're like, I'm going to buy this right now. Yeah, and I think I think that's definitely the case, and um, I, and I certainly think the growth and popularity of these conferences is is a really good data point, Micah. And uh, man, VR is growing like crazy, dude. Mm-hmm. I mean, so like they tripled in size compared to uh, so the last VRLA I went to was in January. Yeah. So they tripled in size since then in August. And so their, their so their first one was. Um... Their first one was uh, in, I believe that's it was in crazy June. Itself. It was it was two thousand in June. Yeah. And then in January it was three thousand. So they went from two thousand to three thousand. Yeah. And then um, in August it was six thousand. Shizzle, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude. Bay Area's got to lead the charge, man. SFVR. We need to get on that. Absolutely. I feel like LA has the advantage of the entertainment industry and a lot, a lot of people being very captivated by the, you know, cinematic VR, 360 storytelling aspect. So I, I certainly felt even in January, a lot of the people there were entertainment folks. I don't think that's probably just a sheer numbers thing, you know, LA just being bigger and the entertainment industry being much bigger there versus how many techie folks are as enthusiastic about VR here. Mm, I'm not sure if those absolute numbers would would compare, but you know, this is. I think this is a perfect chance for, you know, Northern California and Southern California to work together and do something do something awesome. Mm-hmm. I have faith in San Francisco, but going back going back to what Michael was saying, I see some parallels between. VR and AI and that there are still many people who remember the AI winter in the late <laughs> 80s. Oh, yeah, and the Terminator, right? <laughs> no, not that AI winter. Get down. <laughs> well, it was, it was the major one, but there were a few small ones before it. Well, we, had, it, a, we had a VR winter, actually, that parallel yes. that. In the uh, mid '90s. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, between the between the mid '90s and and uh, and uh, what was it like 2010, 2011, 2011, 2012 when VR started to pick up the pace again. So there are people who seem to think that the past will repeat itself, which is seldom a good thing to do, even though there are patterns and trends, the technology has advanced enough to support pretty stupendous AI and stupendous VR. Well, that's the thing is, um, I would say that um, people don't realize how fast the pace of technology is changing. I mean, the Vive is, um, the first time people try it, it's mind-blowing. And then later on, you like, you know what's happening is is I've already seen, you know, in January uh, this comp- this um, company from Shenzhen called uh, Dodo uh, D L O D L O um, was showcasing these these glasses at CES where you had VR and at the time they weren't very good but I saw them recently in New York City went to their press conference and their glasses are really good now they've like improved the technology a lot and these glasses are 
like a penny thick and they need a they need to like they need a strap like the vive you know and they need uh, some some motion trackers you know but the technology is good and it's thin and it's light and so if only people could see the technology that's around the corner how fast this stuff is is uh, catching up to being extremely lightweight it's high resolution um and it's already the vibe is already a great product but it's the everything's getting a lot better and it's getting better really fast i agree and, um, yeah so this i think that that uh you know the the right the the person who's not tuned into vr uh like i am is is because i'm like you know on every story right is not gonna is not gonna realize what is actually coming um we're gonna have like there's a new uh qualcomm reference design that does mobile position tracking um it's a vr it's all in one vr headset and so it's gonna allow people to use existing uh qualcomm phone processors to make uh vr headsets that um do position tracking that's as good as the vive but it, at a drastically inside, lower price point at a drastically lower price point and inside your phone so that all you need is is your phone plus a plus a headset and um it's uh it's getting to the point when that you know uh position tracking like you'll no longer need these the sensors that i have up my, on my wall and it's just yeah so it's just amazing untethered cheap but awesome yeah. vr goodness for the masses i Totally agree. Yeah. I mean, Adam, I, I completely agree with what you're saying. I there's a lot more that's happening that is, you know, that that is right. Like there are a lot of synergies taking place right now that would ensure that it isn't another VR winter again. Like we just didn't have the compute capability back then, you know? We didn't have the economies of scale supporting mobile processors, sensors, and screens. And combine that stuff with the advances, AI, real-time game engines, and you know all this other stuff is making. And plus, you know all the all the big dogs are are getting on board, right? Like so, Intel released a reference design, as Micah mentioned. You know, Qualcomm released a reference design, and I think more companies. You've got Google's Daydream spec. So you know, I think it'll be very easy for people to start making the hardware. I think the big question will be how long will it take for content to catch up, you know, like, because um, many of these articles that are talking about, you know, the hype of VR are alluding to, you know, a little bit of a gap time between, uh, say, the iPhone coming out and really popularizing touch as an input and, um, or multi-touch as an input, really, and then, you know, significant apps coming out. But people did underestimate how, you know, uh, quickly mobile would pick up. So I think this time around, people are a lot more aware of that certainly enterprise and the entertainment industry is. So I think they're going to be doing a wait and watch thing. But given how the mobile, you know, kind of the rise of mobile, so to speak, has a lot more similarities with how VR might, you know, play out over the long term, I think people are going to be producing a lot more content. And we're kind of right at this point where it's like the lull before the storm, right? Like we've just had the consumer VR headsets launch a couple months back, guys, like, you know, oh, I think it's a little early to say the downfall of VR is here, right? Right. I think so. It's, that's another, what do you think about that, Adam? When you mentioned uh, phones as a way of 
interfacing with the VR headsets. I, I was thinking about the different types of consumers that these different companies are targeting. And at this point, most people who play games play casual ones on their phones, right? And there's the PC master race and console gamers, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. So of the companies who are going or getting into it, do you see any cultures emerging? Well, I, what I can say about that is um, I would say Gear VR, quality virtual reality, is on its way in the short term to all mobile phones thanks to um, projects like Google's, Google's Daydream. Daydream VR is um, a project to bring, uh, it, it's basically a, a specification for manufacturers to use higher quality processors in order to become certified with Google's Daydream uh, program so that, um, and it also includes a controller specification. So the, the apps um, will have a motion control interface, which is uh, vaguely based on the idea of the Vive controller. Um, so these kinds of technologies are coming to, uh, to broadly to mobile phones that will drop the premium mobile phones this year, but mobile phones will, that will be low end in years to come. So that um, basically the world, the whole world, uh, you know, everybody who, every, you know, the smartphones are everywhere and um, the whole world will basically have uh, like a VR headset that comes in the box with their next phone, um, even the cheap phones. And uh, this would be high quality VR with, with um, at first you'll have a motion controller and then later on you'll have built-in position tracking and and then it will be mixed with AR and it will be we're coming up with new screen technology so that you can um, basically when you're wearing your glasses you can see the room you're in and you can see um, you know like with Magic Leap you can see uh, how, uh, something that looks like it's really there but it's actually like you know you can see C3PO or R2D2 from Star Wars as if they're really there in front of you because the screen technology is just advancing so fast. And you can see this on a mobile phone. Um, that's where this is going. And you can, it's like having, it's like you're going to have the ability to have like live Instagram filters on everybody around you. So everybody can look like a cartoon character if you want them to. Um, and this is because technology is just advancing so fast. We're integrating um, virtual reality with augmented reality, and we're calling it mixed reality or merged reality. It includes artificial intelligence as well for computer vision and for you know for recognizing objects, categorizing people and objects and things and cars and and um, and then uh, applying uh, you know Instagram-like filters in 3D in real time. Yeah, we were talking about this, Micah, like uh, AR makeup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's it's going to be a very interesting and strange future. <laughs> and I mean, clearly, we we can all agree the future is spatial, right? Now, whether it's VR, AR, some flavor of MR between that spectrum, we're going to go in that direction. It spatial computing yeah. is the next big thing. We're basically going from flat two-dimensional computing to 3D spatial computing, and um, it's like the computer. It's like the computers in the world with us, all around us. Um, and everywhere, and um, it, it, it makes our reality like infinite. There's like infinite amounts of uh, like layers space. and layers yeah. and universes intersecting and existing with one another. Like can't help but go on a deviation of like Ready Player One or something like that here. 
I think like pop culture has done a really good job of somewhat alluding to the direction where humanity might take us, you know, in, in a positive sense and a, you know, Absolutely. kind of dystopian sense too. And, and um, go ahead, keep, keep on with the ready player. One. Yeah. And like, I think that is just kind of inspiring this next generation of creators, right? Uh, these are, these are folks who've been, you know, who've grown up on this stuff and, you know, been grown off this, like I was, I was remembering a cheesy Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. I don't know if you guys even remember it. Universal <laughs> soldier. Like those guys had AR glasses. Like this is like early nineties, like clearly like, this stuff has been around in science fiction in some shape or form. So it'll be interesting to see, like, clearly we have a mass uh, library of ideas that, you know, uh, people can tap into from pop culture and, and it's just science fiction and stuff like that to create awesome things. And, and we're seeing a lot of that stuff now, right? Like, I think, I think, I mean, like the HoloLens, man, you showed me your HoloLens last time we met. And yeah. that itself is like, that's, man, you've got robots popping out, like it's the cheesy demo, whatever, but Holy you've got robots God. popping out of the wall and shooting at you and you're sitting there snapping your finger and, and doing stuff like that. And tracking is phenomenal. Like the tracking is just right. like, and coming from a Vive user, I was very, very impressed with how, how accurate the tracking is. So inside out tracking, which a year ago, you know, people like John Carmack was saying like, oh, it's just a very difficult problem. We're not going to be able to do this. It's kind of been solved. Totally solved it. Yeah. Microsoft Research just sitting on like a gold yeah. mine of stuff. They're like, right. oh, this technology. Oh yeah, we figured this out yeah. back in two thousand two. Right. Here you go. <laughs> like, what the heck, man? <laughs> it's it's pretty awesome. So, I, I, who knows? There are probably way more companies like that that are that are sitting, you know, and in 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 kind of the shadows right now that have this stuff figured out, and we'll just see more of it come out as as uh, time progresses. That's um, right. You know, I, I do want to. I do want to pose a question to you, Micah. Is like, where ha, do you feel like there's a like a, a direction where content, VR content, is taking? Or do you agree with the notion that everything out there is kind of hacky, prototypey feel? Or do you think there's some polished experiences out there now? You took my question. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially, <laughs> mine was slightly well, okay. different. <laughs> <laughs> um, so no, it's like okay, it's like slap it on here. Here's the, the right way to think about it is this: um, there are there are some really uh, uh, complete experiences. Like there's a racing game. Uh, there's that's uh, you know, and um, and there's a, a space uh, a space game, Elite Dangerous, um, that are really full uh, video games uh, that are really deep and that are for VR. Um, but the majority of games, I think that um, it, it, it go, it, it's almost like um, when the PlayStation first came out and all the PlayStation games were like kind of short. And then when the PlayStation 2, like the next, the next few years, I mean, there was, there was a time before the PlayStation 2, but the PlayStation 2 came out and the games had like, um, they were much so much more massive, right? And had so much more detail and they were so much more... Like they were basically built on the PlayStation One games, but they were, so in a sense, like new products, like um, sequels or just new games built out of the old shell. So what happened was, um, people basically had to sort of like reinvent applications for VR because you can't just port a video game yeah. to VR. But what's going to happen is now that now that we're starting to uh, we're starting to find some some things that really work, like this this game called. Um, Survios, uh, not. I mean, it's called uh, raw data, 
and it's by a company oh, called yeah. Servios. And that game allows you to um, <laughs> to use a yeah. You, you, Pull you, out a what do they call it? They call it a light sword. I, I know. I remember sword. like they couldn't call it like a. It's a lightsaber. Lightsaber. <laughs> <laughs> and um, that game uh, really. Disney works, come knocking on your door. It was How dare built, you say that? It was built from the ground up for VR, and it, they it uses teleport to get around. Um, it's a shooter, but it's not like, it doesn't play like a traditional shooter, but they figured out how to make it work and it works really good. And so what's going to happen is you're seeing, you're seeing stuff that, um, is starting to look like, like job simulator looks really polished. It's, uh, it looks really good. And so people are starting to see the stuff that works and the stuff that's out there, just like developers just keep improving their own work, like stuff that was, um, really raw like um this there was this uh, uh photogrammetry stuff that was really cool it was like they had one or two different places you could visit and you like i re went in there recently and uh they've done it so that you can you don't actually have to go b back out to the world map to see the next one there's like a link when you get to the end of one you can go right into the next one um and what i'm saying is that developers are going back on these vr apps that they've already created they're they're giving more they're improving these apps they're making them much better um we're seeing a lot of that a lot of upgrades um so it is a good time to invest in a vibe even with apps that are basic because developers keep on improving them and they keep on making their apps better and we're looking this is all this is all like the first wave of apps and and oculus has been talking about you know for they're coming out with their touch they're coming out with a whole new wave of vr apps and everything's going to change again. And these next level apps that are that are projected to come out before the end of this year are going to really throw people's socks off a second time because it's going to be like next level stuff. It's going to be like the jump from PlayStation 1 to PlayStation 2, but in one year. Um, we're seeing really massive advancements. In, Definitely. In, um, yeah. But like people are iterating much, much faster, right? Like, so I guess what you're saying is like people are figuring it out. They're trying to figure out like, hey, I got two six DOF motion controllers. What can I do with this, right? And you'll see a lot of prototypey stuff. And I'm sure you've seen like some of the Steam comments on uh, especially early access demos. People are like, man, I just paid 25 bucks for this piece of crap. Like this isn't even complete. But like those are devs in a nascent industry. How else are they going to make their money? They they don't have the advantage of selling volume, so they have to kind of price it a little bit higher. And most early adopters seem to be fine with paying that premium just to try these experiments out, which are obviously iterate. They're iterating on this stuff, improving way faster. And hopefully, in in the time to come, we'll see some people take those lessons learned and then start building bigger and more ambitious experiences from but, it. Like, I mean, but I hope if something costs 25 bucks and it's a good value, you know, that that's another thing yeah. is, is I, where we are seeing that developers are looking at criticism. And if, if people are like, you know, there was this game called, um, uh, it's basically what it was is it's, uh, it's, uh, uh, like an arcade. It's called new, it's called new retro arcade neon. And this arcade is like allows you to put in your own emulators, but it's really actually like I could not, I, I had to, could not figure out. I still haven't figured out how to put my. I mean, I kind of understand the basic concept of it, but you have to find your own emulators on the internet, 
and your own games on the internet. And then you have to download them and then you have to put them in a certain file folder. And then that, and then you have to use this tool that is like, it's not obvious how to find this tool yeah. an arcade builder. And so it's like, it's like hacking your own computer in order yeah. to make this arcade that play actual games. If you just go into the arcade the way it is, none of the, none of the games work. And that's like, that's a little bit frustrating. It's like none of the mm -hmm. arcades work, but it will work if you spend time figuring out how to assemble all this data. And so they, so people were really mad. They said, you know, you can't charge 25 bucks for this. And so they listened and they lowered the price and they're like, you know, and there's a huge like support network, but that's just this one particular time. And there's no other title totally. like it. There's no other title that makes you do it. Does what they do. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like kind of like the Android versus like, you know, like the Android community or people who are going to root their Android and, you know, install Cyanogen mod versus like the Apple folks who are just used to, hey, like, I, I hit my touch ID, I downloaded the app, it should it should just work. I don't, I don't, I shouldn't have to do anything else about it. So totally. you've got people from both of those backgrounds coming in as early adopters. And uh, I think that's why, like, just the difference between Oculus and Vive is so drastic to me. Like, I don't know if you feel like this, Micah, but... I was perusing the Oculus store the other day and it looked very similar to what it looked like in like April. Okay. I just didn't see a bunch of new stuff. So maybe maybe they're holding off. On, on the other hand, on the Vive side on Steam, I see tons of new applications coming out. Um, maybe it's because their like acceptance criteria is more stringent. Maybe it's because more people are developing stuff for the Vive in general. It seems to have at least now more popularity because they've got both the motion controllers um, out there. Maybe the tides will shift back or, you know, kind of change a little bit once the, the touch controllers come out, as you're alluding to. So, two things. One, I strongly recommend playing around and rooting your Android and doing all those things. A lot of fun, very instructive. Secondly, and Micah has hinted at this a few times, and so have you, Louisville, uh, about how exactly the industry will develop. I know that right now the Oculus is being sold essentially at a break-even profit, so I read, which means that Facebook must expect developers to begin producing content. Do you foresee large companies either developing their own games or maybe bankrolling smaller developers? Or how exactly could this play out? Because this is a slightly different animal than, say, game development in the late 80s when, or well, early to late, the whole decade, when you could have a single guy write a pretty decent game in 48 hours. Anyway, I'm looking at the HTC Vive, and the price here on Amazon is $1,000. Whoa, that's wrong. That is, uh, let's see, that's probably just some, some fucking dude who's, like, <laughs> priced it such. Let's see, what is the official... They, actually, Vive, HTC's been very good about this just because they, you know, have a pretty decent supply chain. You can buy stuff right off their site and they're usually never out of stock uh 800 bucks 799 exactly okay yes yeah, so i see that in google shopping yeah and that might be for like people who are like in a, in a country that doesn't have the vive and they'll probably mm -hmm. you know and these guys probably ship internationally i know a lot of people 
have been doing that with the the ga- uh, the Gear 360 camera. I don't know if you've heard about the Samsung like entry level, you know, two lens. Uh, 360 monoscopic 360 video solution. Um, it's not officially out in the U.S., but um, people just buy it off Amazon for 200 bucks more, and it gets shipped from Korea or you know wherever. Unfortunately, uh, two very close consorts of mine despise Samsung, so I try to <laughs> keep keep those products away. Ah, Dude, plus with the blowing batteries, I think there's all the more reason to. <laughs> <laughs> to feel, to have that emotion right now, it's pretty scary, pretty damn scary. Especially because you know you consider you've got this stuff right next to your eyes, and you know that's not the distance at which you want something. So the Vive, the Vive is more open source and hackable. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. They kind of mm-hmm. you know, and Steam has always, Steam's always been about that kind of you know. But. Oh, it's okay. The Valve Corporation. Mm. Uh, it's a joint project between uh, HTC and Valve, and I think that itself was so smart, man. Because I've always liked HTC phones. I, I decide. I don't know if you remember the HTC One, the original HTC One. Beautiful device, man. Beautiful I, Android device. I didn't get a smartphone until two years ago. Mm. And I was completely in the dark before that. So we'll offer native support for Unity on its platform. Well, that is tremendous in and of itself. And the best thing is, like, Valve kind of abstracts the Steam VR SDK, kind of abstracts, you know, the concept of which headset you're using. So you basically can build for all VR headsets out there without, you know, specifically having to target one uh, which is awesome for devs because, like, hey, you don't want to have to do what you do on the mobile side of things. It's like you've got an iOS app, and then you have the Android app, and then you have a web app version, and then you have some kind of hybrid web app in a container, and then you maintain a bunch of these different, you know, uh, you know, source codes that live, you know, separately, but have should, in, in theory, be able to work off the same, the same repo. Steam's really looking at that you know, kind of addressing that market. And, uh, and interestingly, that's one of the things I was alluding to in our chat earlier was like, um, basically like people wanted to play Oculus only titles when they had a Vive, of course, right? Like, so with, you know, people's hacking mentality in the gaming market, somebody invented something called Revive, which lets you do precisely that. And, uh, you know, Oculus got wind of it and immediately shut it down and closed the loophole that allowed them to do that, faced a tremendous amount of uh, uh, backlash from the community, and then was like, okay, I'm sorry, guys. You guys can do what you were doing. It's okay. It helps the market overall. So you're seeing already people trying to do, like, a super walled garden versus, you know, like Apple versus, you know, ultra open source. Um and obviously, I think both will end up coexisting next to one another as they've always done. So, if I coded a VR game with Unity, I could test it with cardboard. It looks like. If if the fidelity of that game is like low enough that you could run it off an Android phone, yeah, you it, can. It probably would. No, it wouldn't be anything really. Yeah, totally. Sophisticated. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yo, Mike is back. Hey. Is back. Um, and uh, Unreal was showing off earlier this year that they um, 
once you have a character model that you can basically do motion capture in real time and render it in real time while the actor is performing it. Yeah, dude, we were talking about that. Dude, it's like, God, virtual production is going to, like, oh, especially look into the stuff that they did with uh, um, a jungle, the Jungle Book recently. Virtual production played a very huge role, and I think they used some flavor of Unity uh, to power that experience. So, um, Balabo, you were talking about Ready Player One. Have you seen um, the pictures from Steven Spielberg's movie? Oh, yeah, right. dude. Those look slick. Because I think what's going to happen is that movie's going to come out, and it's going to be a huge hit. And there's like an, there's like a, there's a lot of different VR headsets in that movie. So people will get the idea of, hey, wait a second. If with VR, we can go inside a movie... Because that's one of the story one of the story features of, of of Ready Player One is you can go inside a movie and you can interact with the movie characters that you saw in some 1980s film. Mm-hmm. And but realistically, that's where all this technology is going to where, you know, whether your actor is um, or actress is, you know, and you could say Tom maybe your actor is Tom Cruise or maybe your actor is. Uh, Will Smith or your actresses, uh, you know, whoever your favorite um, person is, you can be in a movie with them in the future where you can, they're interactive and they're responding to you live and they're, they have, um, it's like um, there's artificial intelligence and it, and they're able to see you and recognize what you're doing and then they're able to continue to play out their part in the script. Um, but improvise it live uh, with artificial intelligence, and it's like you're interacting in a in a in a movie that's photorealistic, that looks like it's really around you, that can integrate your the world around you, or it can replace the world around you with um, with with different you know it can change the world around you, so you can. You know, you can still, there's still a table there, but maybe that table will look like, um, like a fridge that's in the movie. And so you won't walk into the table, but you'll still be able to interact with the world around you normally, but it'll just be, um, it'll just be, it'll be very, um, it'll be like you're in, you know, we'll be like you're in an alternate universe. And that's how that's where all this technology yeah. is going. And people are going to, the masses are going to catch on to this idea when this movie, Ready Player One, comes out. And that's that's when people are going to go berserk. And Like Facebook stock, like, doubles after the movie comes out or something like that. Yeah. And this <laughs> happen, basically, yeah. the CEO of Sony basically said that he thinks that um, by the year 2020, he recently said this, by the year 2020, Everybody on the planet is going to have access to some form of VR. Totally which is crazy. Totally. Yeah. Um, I mean, dude, that that is easily one of the like funnest things about Ready Player One is like you can like jump back into your old favorite movies and kind of relive relive them from a, a different perspective. And that reminds me of like what ILMX Lab is trying to do. I think like those guys are so uniquely positioned, you know, to have access to this massive Star Wars universe. And um, in fact, a lot of the stuff that they were talking about is very similar. Like, like Adam, this this is like uh, look into this. It's like basically you've got the massive story arc of Star, you know, Star Wars overall. Then you've got events happening in parallel, and you know, in essence, you can like 
you can jump into some of these parallel storylines and, you know, where, you know, they might not be, let's say, like super influential to the, you know, primary story arc, but you can still have influence on, you know, some events that happen, um, you know, in tandem with, you know, the broader story as it unfolds. And, uh, uh, like, think about it, like all these visual effects companies and, you know, uh, most of these movies are so... Uh, visual effects and you know CGI heavy anyway you've got those assets and as real-time rendering gets even better and better and better um, you know that we could see those assets being put to use to recreate and uh, you know serve up these worlds that you know fans of the movie can explore later you know um, maybe as a promotion and st- you know initially like You've been seeing, uh, what was it, with Interstellar, I think they organized like a little take a ride in the Interstellar pod type experience, you know, at select, you know, theaters where you don the headset and experience what it's like to be in one of the primary vehicles in the the movie. But going far beyond that and making, you know, uh, the ability to actually interact with uh, other characters, now whether that's AI or like real people or a combination thereof, it'll be some awesome stuff and Already, uh, uh, you know, ILMX Lab has been talking about how they can use the same production-grade assets and have them degrade very gracefully, you know, to work in something like Unreal Engine or, or what have you. So I, the future is so bright on that, man. And I can't wait to jump back into, like, an old episode of Star Trek and just, you know, <laughs> have a blast. Absolutely. In fact, I played – I was on Star Trek in uh, the VR – game at VRLA and it was multiplayer and so that's another big shift we're seeing is, is all these multiplayer experiences a lot of people are saying VR would be a solo experience it would it would you'd be by yourself it wouldn't be that fun but Star Trek was in VR was amazing um, there was I was actually in it with, with three of the guys from um, from uh, three of the guys or two of the let's see there's four players two of the guys from upload. VR were were uh, playing the game with me at VRLA, and it was really cool. Um, you could s- turn around and you could wave at the other players. You could hear them through your microphone and headphones, and you each had a different role to play. Like I was the um, I was the the ship's navigator, right? So I had to, so I had to <laughs> engage the engines. And someone else had to fire the torpedoes and the, the and the lasers, and someone else had to manage the shields and the, distribute it, distribute the energy. That's the, awesome. The, yeah, arm the torpedoes. <laughs> <laughs> One of the breaking news stories today was the opening of Virtual Reality Arcade in DC. <laughs> And this ties in with the idea of multiple people playing and nearly universal access to these experiences. Do you foresee arcades making a comeback as a result of VR? 100%, I think. Like, especially since it's so pricey early on, I think that is the perfect way people can experience high-end VR and uh, you know, kind of mobile mobile grade VR experiences, which will also get really, really good, as Mike has been alluding to, will kind of be uh, you know, kind of the mainstream version of what people experience as VR. But for the really polished room scale, you know, multiplayer type experiences, I think arcades 
are going to be a huge role. And, uh, and specifically in, in, in markets like China, where, you know, gaming cafes are already just pervasive and extremely popular, um, it, it, it just makes sense. You know, they've got a bunch of these, you know, high-end gaming computers sitting around. For them, it's just natural progression. But you're also going to see kind of VR-first uh, arcades popping up like, you know, Void. And, uh, you know, I, I believe Dave & Buster's in California has, has some kind of room-scale multiplayer experience. So I'm excited, man. I'm excited. Even if it's something as simple as, like, you know, uh, laser tag or paintball in VR, I think that wow. itself would be very, very uh, engaging experience to go out and, you know, have fun with your friends. I want, I want to say that I went to New York City to try the Void, to try uh, the... They were playing the Ghostbusters in the Void um, VR experience, and it was not like... It was not like an arcade. It was more like... Um, like a, a ride at Disneyland where um, I got in line and there were three other people and we all put on our gear and then we walked through a room and then the the floor shook and, and we were in VR. We were like um, inside the Empire State Building and we, we went to the roof of the Empire State Building and, and um, you know, we had to, it's Ghostbusters, right? So you have a, you have a pack and you have to shoot at ghosts and stuff. And, um, I don't want to spoil it for those who want to try it, but it really wasn't like an arcade. It was more like um, like a Disneyland ride, like an attraction. And so I think that, you know, you go through it once, you don't really spend a lot of hours in it. You just, you know, you're just in it for a few minutes and then the next group gets to go. Um, that's very un-arcade-like. Um, you know, so there will be arcades in some places, you know, where they have computer cafes. Then there will be attractions at resorts and, and um, amusement parks and then there will be the third trend I'm seeing is that a lot of people like watching movies in VR um, not just um, regular movies then people really like watching regular movies but they also like watching 360 movies and they like going to movie festivals in fact um, I'm working for I'm doing a uh, a, uh, a one-time project for the kaleidoscope film festival where i'm actually going to nevada and i'm bringing um kaleidoscope's original content to the nevada film festival um so that people can basically um you know sit in a room together and watch movies that they can't see in 360 that they can't see anywhere else and it's really cool experience and this is a trend also where you're probably going to see like um, cinemas like IMAX is buying all these Star VRs and Star VR is a headset that has a 210 degree field of view, basically two screens next to each other um, that gives you a very wide angle view in VR. And it's a little bit heavy for consumer use. It's a little bit expensive in terms of how much computer power it requires. But what IMAX can offer is an experience that you won't typically get at home where you get this um movie you're basically in a movie that um is not only all around you but you can see it from a wide point of view it's an interactive movie and um so th so that's in addition to um you know we had the arcades at the front or the computer cafeteria vr we have the um uh, amusement park like attractions we have um movie festivals we'll have you know, maybe local cinemas, and then we'll have like, um, you know, IMAX type VR stuff with with stuff you that it's just too expensive for the home, but it's like really high quality stuff. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of different VR directions that uh, 
that we're, that we're uh, the world is going into. Um, and there's a lot of VR content that's being made for you know VR movie content, basically. So um, you know, at first those movies you know are being made so that it's basically a 360 movie. But the next generation is is the computers will be able to look at. And I just found out about a guy who he's uh, he's already taking like 360 video and 360 pictures, and he's able to use a computer program to turn that into photogrammetry, which means that. The computer's figuring out the geometry of the world from the 360 photos or 360 videos, and it's turning that into um, game geometry, and then it's applying textures from the, the photos or videos to that game geometry. So that means you can interact with the video. That means you can move around inside a video. Um, exactly, and if I could just interject here, so you know, this is one of the common complaints people have about 360 video, right? Is like, oh, you only have you know orientation tracking, you can't lean around. But this this technology that you're talking about using computer vision, you can take you know a 360 input. Even better if it's it's a stereo 360 input, since you have more parallax between the lenses, and you know basically compute and generate a a decent amount of information in a, a 3D mesh that allows you to lean around a little bit and have positional tracking. So, you know, that that's going to be really cool for sure. Yeah. And you're also going to have AI that, that will figure out how to render whatever, whatever the camera missed. You know, like they have in Photoshop mm. now. The, the, Content-aware the fill for VR. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Which will be, yeah, it'll be really interesting. You know, in some in some cases, you know, they're already experimenting with using like Google's Deep Dream AI in VR, so the the computer can see things that were that were never that was never there because it was in the the AI training data. Like, it can see dogs and cats and snails in in VR images that are not yes, really there. and it was a lot of fun to put uh, obscene or not so obscene photos into Deep Dream and see what. <laughs> <end up> <laughs> Oh, 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 oh. Yes, so oh. brick-and-mortar VR, man. The future is definitely bright for that in the near term, especially. There's going to be a lot of that. And, and, oh. and I just want to, I just want to mention that my, my studio, which is, you know, um, it's my company, VR Matrix, is working underneath brands to build, you know, like VR studios so that developers can use these studios and also um, showcase their content to other people. That's another thing we're going to see. I'm not the only person building studios. There's, there's, there are other ones already. Ah, very good. I will make sure to get the information on that so I can introduce you as the founder and tell people what you do. And if it piques their interest, they'll seek you out. All right, guys. Well, we've covered quite a bit. I'm trying to think. I mean, I have assorted tidbits that I've collected. The news about using VR to distract from pain. It's used in a pediatric ward of retraining someone with a phantom limb. But... Uh, 
you know, that doesn't really fit with the rest of the discourse. I think that's a good point, man. Like, there's there's been a lot of, uh, like, tangible, like, non-entertainment use cases that have picked up a lot of steam. Uh, so another one um, about guided meditations, and uh, it's interesting, Deepak Chopra kind of saying that in the future, you know, doctors will prescribe VR and not pharmaceuticals, and, you know, what a wonderful future that would be, but... <laughs> yeah, and yeah. you... So a lot of people are familiar with isochronic tones, to induce alpha, theta, beta mm -hmm. rhythms in their brains. And of course, it's that's just the general impression that we get with an EEG. It's significantly more complex than that, but I digress. You can also do that with lights, thus the popularity of light and sound machines, but those are kind of clunky and primitive. I think it would be much, much more fun to put someone in a particular state of mind with maybe some sort of landscape accompanied by isochronic tones. Yeah, there's actually, um, I know I know someone who actually, she did that, her, her software, um, it will use Uh-oh. Yeah, Micah, you just muted out. I thought I heard something drop. Maybe it was his mic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he will return. Dude, yeah, I think uh, this kind of binaural beats and, and kind of using audio in, in conjunction with very interesting kind of visual stimuli um, has is ripe for, you know, uh, especially if, if somebody approaches it from a neuroscience, you know, perspective and let's say puts on a headset and, you know, has, has, you know, some, well, maybe can't really stick somebody in an MRI machine with a headset, but figures out a way to um, see what's happening to the brain as they're in these experiences well, or perhaps after any, you know, methodical, you know, kind of reductionist approach. I think we could come up with novel experiences that do induce states, you know, and then you kind of alluded to this, you know, kind of psychedelics with an off, off switch. Uh, I think uh, we'll, we'll definitely see a lot of that and, um, oh. Well, I, guess he was, yeah. I mean, an EEG is very non-intrusive, so mm -hmm. you could use that, and even, say, when you close your eyes, there's a measurable increase in alpha waves in parts of your brain. So, yes, if someone took the time and began to approach this as neuroscientist not even you don't even have to be a particularly knowledgeable one you mm -hmm. could put together a very useful program and I've, I think um, I cannot recall who it was but I was re reading about some cinematic 360 VR company that tied up with some hospital and did some very basic preliminary testing to see um, you know what kind of an impact that had and I think just the example that you were citing earlier about kind of uh, you know kind of uh, neuropathic pain being able to be treated, you know, people burn victims, finding far more, you know, kind of relief from a VR experience where they can kind of see their body or, you know, uh, slowly come to terms with what has happened to them. You know, compared to pharmaceuticals, I think that's uh, just goes to show how powerful the mind can be when it's stimulated the right way. Well, I'm not opposed to combining them. Yes, exactly. Uh, for prob probably be you know, even more effective, right? 
<laughs> and the phantom limb part, that's another that's another case. It's a bizarre disorder, and for those who don't know, it's if you have lost an arm or a leg, but you persist in the belief that it's there because mm -hmm. for all intents and purposes it remains in your nervous system's map of your body. And to train someone with VR to accept the fact on an unconscious level, as well as a conscious one, because consciously the person is well aware that it's gone, mm -hmm. that it's gone and they don't need to feel any weird itching or other horrible sensations is spectacular. That is truly, truly amazing stuff. I know Soto Zen Buddhists. Yeah, it's, it, as far as meditation goes, whatever you know floats your boat is good. I think um, th this technique is more like transcendental meditation. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And uh, the idea that your any openings that you have or senses, it, you know, you kind of have to close them out to go inwards. And you know, that's an ideal state everyone should strive to go towards. Mm -hmm. But um, I don't think it reduces the efficacy of, of what a guided meditation might offer. And I think it'd be particularly useful for somebody like, I'm thinking somebody who's sitting in a cubicle all day and needs like a 10 minute break to maybe go chill in the woods or be by a beach. I think that'll have a market improvement in, in stress and anxiety management for people like that who are in, in you know, very intense, uh, isolated, secluded circumstances. So, and ultimately, of course, meditation is a brain state. And I was under the impression that TM is ultimately mantra meditation. Exactly. Close yourself out, close all the senses out, and repeat a mantra silently in your head. And that's the highest form. On the other hand, beginners sometimes have to repeat it aloud because repeating something in your mind is significantly more difficult. It requires concentration, yeah. yeah. I think it's, it's, it's very easy, kind of the way it's eased into it, like is you start doing the mantra out loud and then maybe you do half of the mantra, you know, you know, and then eventually, you know, kind of you start off doing it, you're matching your breath, but eventually the goal is to not even connect it to the breath and truly disconnect um, which is which is a tall and difficult uh, you know order to reach, but um, it's interesting. Like TM is one of those things where these guys have managed to amass a good amount of you know scientific research that kind of um, you know at least says that it's it's far more effective than perhaps other forms of meditation. And I've I've always found that interesting about TM. But, as you said earlier about statistics, which is exactly doubly <laughs> applicable to uh, meditation papers, well, yes. medical, especially when you're talking about uh, medical papers involving subjects and not biochemistry or cell biology, although there can be some fudging in those as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of room for error. On the other hand, um, there are many th good things to be said about mantra meditation in general. Uh, but, I mean, for instance, in the Upanishads, they say a good place to meditate is, to, is by a river. That's where you should be, and not everyone is by a river. Mm -hmm. And if the world and if the universe is in fact Maya, I don't see what the problem is with getting a virtual <laughs> river. Exactly. 
I often jokingly say, call virtual reality Maya 2.0. And, <laughs> and that's really, really what it is, you know? It's like, uh, it's, it's quite fascinating, really. It's quite fascinating. And so to your point, I guess where you're getting at is you could take something like a VR experience that perhaps transports you and kind of creates that environment with birds chirping and the kind of rustling of leaves and the serene flowing of water and kind of gets you warmed up, you know, and, and settled into that meditative state. And eventually, you you know, if, if you so desire, you could forego, you know, the external stimulus and, and maybe start doing that on your own, despite being in the middle of traffic in Los Angeles or something. Oh, right. And other applications, of course, biofeedback. And so this is something that's very useful, making unconscious bodily processes conscious. And really any other sort of rehearsal or practice, and there's very large literature about the power of visualizing practice on musical instruments, even physical mm. exercise, it yields measurable increases in strength, even though in fact nothing has actually been done. Mm -hmm. yeah, that stuff is very, very fascinating. Like just focusing on the muscle-mind connection, for example, and then you know going to, G, uh, going to gym the next week and compared to the placebo group having you know market increase in strength in that particular exercise, it's, it's quite fascinating. Quite fascinating. And I, I use the think for a trial. I'm still in my trial. And I've enjoyed it. Not so much the activity vibes, but the relaxation vibes have been stupendous. So if you combine things like neurofeedback or crude transcranial or transdermal stimulation. Mm -hmm. It's a very, very powerful. Yeah, very, very powerful. Like, <laughs> <laughs> straight kerosene, man. 